sorry to interrupt, sir, but uh, Chuck Schumer is here. He says you're working on some kind of secret deal together. Ah, uh, yes. Send him in. Yeah, he is. Huh? How you doing, sir? Ready for dinner? I know a great place for slices. You'll feel like you're back in Queens. Great, let's go. So, are you really leaving with him? I told you I'm nothing if not loyal. Come on over here, Chuck. Yes. We're both New Yorkers. We enjoy a good slice. We never go to Times Square, mm -hmm. and we love saying, Live from New York, it's Saturday night! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing the season 43 premiere of Saturday Night Live with host Ryan Gosling and musical guest Jay-Z. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, Enjoy. Anyone who listened to our preseason extravaganza episode will know that there was one big piece of SNL news that we weren't able to cover. And that, of course, is that NBC will be airing a half-hour-long animated David S. Pumpkins Halloween special on October 28th. So, <laughs> what do we make of that, Steve? Oh, they couldn't have made a better decision. Yeah. <laughs> I am absolutely tickled pink. Or orange, in this case. You're not worried that we're driving him into the ground and, you know, this might be one step too far? Um, no, I think this is something that deserves to be driven into the ground. <laughs> okay. All right. Now there has been a little bit of news trickling out about it. Tom Hanks will be reprising his role as David Simon pumpkins. Bobby Moynihan has confirmed that he's going to be back. Mikey day, obviously. And Streeter Seidel, who was one of the writers for the original David S pumpkin sketches, he'll be doing a voice as well. And we also have confirmation that Peter Dinklage is in the mix as well. I guess, uh, Space Pants is going to be some kind of adversary against David S. <laughs> yeah, you think that's going to be his uh, arch nemesis, his, the, the villain of the piece? Yeah, maybe there'll be some <laughs> G-rated version of Kevin Roberts as well. Can you imagine if they took all the absurd characters that Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel have developed over the last few years and they just made this like melting pot of insanity? <laughs> um, this would be the sort of show that you could rightly encourage someone to maybe watch a little inebriated or other <laughs> just a little, <laughs> the, I don't know. It just, it, it seems like this, this could really be a, a bizarre trippy experience if, if they do it right. Yeah. That is the essence of David S pumpkins. Yeah. <laughs> so that's enough on <laughs> David pumpkins. Uh, but in all seriousness, last week we were waiting on confirmation from NBC about new cast and writers. And unfortunately that news didn't drop until after we recorded. So we weren't able to, to fit that in, but we're going to tackle it this week. So let's do the rundown here. We get three new featured players, Chris Red, Heidi Gardner, and Luke Null. What do we know about these guys? Not a whole lot. I'll be honest, which is to be expected because it's generally unknowns that end up hired. Sure. That's how I like it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what SNL is, is good with is taking talent that hasn't been scooped up yet, being the first to scoop them up. Sure. 
Now, Chris Red, we know a little bit more about him, obviously. Right. He's been on SNL's radar for a while. There was a whole hullabaloo last year about whether he was going to be on the show or not. And he's also been in the Lonely Island movie. So he's a bit more of a proven quantity. And I think that was maybe borne out. It seemed like he got a little bit more screen time last night. So he seems to be, in my opinion, probably the front runner right now. And all the more so because, as we discussed on our last cast, um, rounding out the black players on the cast to give them just more avenues and opportunities for fun sketches. Um, he, he fits the bill and hopefully that will lead to him getting a fair amount of screen time and being able to really establish himself quickly. As far as the other two, we know Heidi Gardner is from groundlings. Luke Null is from IO Chicago, but otherwise, yeah, they're just, they're the up and comers. They're the ones that have a spark. They're the ones that just were able to uh, leave the right feeling in the gut of the scouts and eventually all the way up to, you know, Higgins and Lauren. And so they obviously were doing something right. And that sets the bar high. If they've gotten this far, if they're going to be on Saturday night live, we rightly expect to see something magical from each of them this season. And, uh, I certainly hope we get it. I really, really do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we move off this, the always flamboyant Lila2398 checked in and said, where was Luke? He's definitely getting fired after this season. I don't remember him in this episode at all. Uh, do we have a, a take on that? What, what are your thoughts? Is, is Luke dead in the water at this point? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you got to calm down a little bit. <laughs> sure. Yeah. He wasn't in this episode. Okay. But definitely getting fired. Let's let's okay. Let's calm down because <laughs> it's it, that's a bit of a, a a bold statement to make right out of the gate. Right. He was probably all over this episode before it got chopped up for final broadcast. Sure. And you know, just got unlucky with what made the cut. Yep. Could be. Let's see what the second episode has in store for Luke, because I'm excited to see what he can do, as I am with any other new featured player sure but yeah i definitely wouldn't be uh you know looking for blood (laughs) sure um yes since we have 20 more episodes to burn through before the end of the season i think there's really no point in trying to make predictions at at this point uh how many episodes last season did we go without alex moffat or melissa villasenor you know there was a big swath there in like the first half of the season where neither of them had much of a presence and yet both of them are building some good momentum, even, you know, exceptionally. So with Alex, so yeah, too soon to tell there's no point. (laughs) This is, this is episode one. Let's talk in the finale and see where we're at. Yeah. You think it's such a big deal. He wasn't in the first episode. Jenny slate is probably jealous of the guy (laughs) Sure, that he wasn't in the first episode. Sometimes you want to just keep your head down. You don't want to put yourself out there. You don't know what's going to happen on your first outing. You don't know what kind of bomb you're going to drop in (laughs) in what letter. Uh, yeah. So at this point we should be hopeful and optimistic and in our postseason recap, we will figure out what we think of the featured players at that point. We need to keep in mind too, that we've got six featured players now in the cast. So that's a lot of people competing for a few bit parts. And you look at the other two, like fresh rookie featured players, they had what, maybe three lines between them and just a few background parts. We're not talking about any one of them, like having a stunning first outing, kind of like Mikey day did. They're doing the part of a featured player, which is they're just slowly getting in the mix and learning the lay of the land. And they've been there six days at this point. So yeah. Right. 
Now, on the writer side of things, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider have left the show as head writers to pursue their own project. So break down what we're going to be losing in Kelly and Schneider. Well, we're going to be losing something that we just got. And that's what's the most sad about it. Uh, You know, they came from college humor. And for that reason, they really speak to this newer generation, you know, these millennials. (laughs) Sure. You know, not only were they able to speak to a younger audience, but they also didn't ostracize the diehard fans, the old school um, lifelong watchers. Sure. They had material that was smart, but also current Mm -hmm. and relevant. And for them to leave so soon is, it's kind of heartbreaking. Okay. All right. You would have liked them to stick around, keep their voice in the mix with the show. At least for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. They seem to be particularly adept at those girl power music video type sketches. They seem to be really good with pre-tapes and they, they seem to be yeah at their best when they were bringing out really fun situational stuff with their, their click of, of girls like Kate and 80 and uh, formerly Vanessa and Cecily. It seemed like they really knew how to put that core group to good use. So we're probably going to be losing a little bit of that uh, focus on those kind of sketches. That's a loss for the show for sure. But, you know, to round out the writer's room, the show has brought on seven more writers and I personally don't know much about them, but I feel like it's good to give them a little uh, introduction and just welcome them to the show. So we're getting Steven Castillo, Andrew Dismukes, Claire Friedman, Sam J, Eric Marino, Nimesh Patel and Gary Richardson. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're at SNL, <laughs> you know, there's, there's good stuff that the rookie writers can push through. And, uh, I want to, I want to start seeing it. Come on, you know, bring me something good, get in the mix fight, you know, <laughs> like it's a, it's a competitive place. So it's your time to step up and, and we really, we, we just want to see it. We want to see it. Uh, so welcome, welcome. We have every intention of picking apart everything you do to an absurd degree, and we'll probably get it wrong more often than not. And if you ever feel like correcting us, by all means, come on the cast. We'd love to talk to any of you. Now, a little more feedback before we get into the show proper. Debbie Winner has checked in and says, Gosling's constant breaking last time was a little too much for me, and it happened again this time. It can be fun to see him break, but breaking in every sketch is a little tiresome. I feel like people give him a pass because he's beautiful. So Steve, what do you think? Is Ryan Gosling beautiful? Well, yeah. (laughs) As a guy who's threatened by other good looking (laughs) men, I'm not going to give this guy any free passes. Okay. (laughs) All right. But with that said, you know, I didn't find his breaking distracting or out of place. Okay. When he breaks, it more enhances it than takes away anything for me. You know, I feel that alongside of him. And I think it's just a whole lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Not everyone can pull it off, but he is very sincere, right? You don't get any sense that he's playing it up for effect. And that is infectious, right? Like when it comes off real and when you're kind of there going along for the ride with the person, it it can be fun. I personally was hoping that we did see less of it. Uh, I'm kind of in Debbie winner's camp on this. I love Ryan Gosling. I thought that he, you know, he did a really good job despite that, but I was kind of hopeful that he might come into this really trying to like rein it in and be more on top of it than last time. Just, you know, just for the sake of really executing the sketch as well. Um, as much fun as it is to see him break, it does ruin the rhythm and it does, 
the, the sketch may be more fun as a ride, but it's not necessarily going to be better for people breaking. And I just, I would have assumed that he would have come in trying to really like double down on his, his ability to keep control of it. And apparently that's just not something that he's able to do. Well, you watched the same show I did, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you saw everything that they set up intentionally for Ryan Gosling to lose it. Now, see, that's a very fair point, especially with the alien abduction, right? Like we, we know that the show was leaning into it because they know that that's what people were expecting to see. So it might not even be Ryan Gosling's fault that he really just, he didn't stand a chance with what they were throwing at him. But I don't know if the show should be trying to establish people as like, here's the guy that's going to come on and break. I, I like it when it happens. I don't need it to happen all the time. So like Debbie winner, I think there's a place for it, but generally speaking, I want the show to hold together. I want the host to be a little more in control if, if they're capable of it. And apparently, yeah, Ryan Gosling, he's just not that guy. <laughs> and you're right that the show certainly embraced it. So uh, I'm not going to count it against him. Well, when you decide to take your host, bend him over and press a cast <laughs> member's face into their buttocks, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get what you and Debbie Winner want. Sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're, you know what? Yep. Point, Steve. <laughs> I concede. Right. The show got what it was asking for. And yes. uh, yeah, it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but it did make for a fun outing nonetheless. With that said, let's talk cold open. Trump has returned to deal with the crisis in Puerto Rico. This is our first, you know, fade in on season 43. This is setting the tone for the show. What do we think? I don't know if it was just missing the show, but I had a good time with this cold open. There wasn't anything special about it. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a, a mosaic, if you will, of different ideas, uh, different characters coming on and off. Sure. I felt it flowed well for how it was structured. Okay. You know, with how many things that a cold open could focus on in the last couple of weeks of news, especially with Trump. I think this format was the best way to cater to all those different topics. And yeah, I found it acceptable. Okay. Yeah. I've seen better. I've seen worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think for me, what maybe dragged it down was how much stuff they tried to cram into it. It's very obvious that they want to be critical of Trump and they want to be keeping pace with all of the insanity and the crazy headlines that are, are coming out, you know, right up to Saturday. Uh, I just personally feel like maybe they don't need to try and hit every Trump topic and just kind of do a run through of the week's insanity. I would like them to maybe zero in on one thing that they've got a really funny beat on and just kind of explore that more and just find something that's humor first and maybe, you know, hard hitting political commentary second, because it just, it isn't as engaging for me to watch something that it ticks all the right boxes. It's going to create headlines. They are covering what they need to cover. And the next day, you know, on the internet, it's going to be SNL hits Trump on issue X and SNL hits Trump on issue Y. Like I understand why all that stuff needed to be there for what the show is trying to accomplish. It just personally doesn't generate the comedy that really rouses me serviceable fun moments, but it's all just these little throwaway lines that seem to be funny. It's not like conceptually, there was anything really brilliant about it that really kind of wowed me or made me think, Oh great. Season 43 is back and just look at how brilliantly they're kicking things off. I just didn't feel that. And that's what I would have, would have really hoped for. Yeah, no, I get you. Yeah. I think part of what's to blame is the fact that 
been about a month or so since we had the last weekend update bit. Sure. So it's kind of tempting to put in as much news material that you missed right. over that break, mm-hmm. but you can understand why they would want to yeah. with, with how much that went on. I think it also might be a symptom of just how many times they got burned with their cold opens last season. There was a lot of cold opens that they had to gut or rewrite entirely or just, you know, scrap an idea altogether because some new news item dropped, you know, right before the show is, is uh, going to air. So there have been a lot of situations where the cold open is something that they don't really tack down till really late in the week. So there isn't a lot of room for rewrites. There isn't really a lot of room to step back with fresh eyes and really look at it and say, does this all play? Does this all need to be here? There's, there's no real room for second drafts or a lot of heavy editing on it because they are just trying to tread water in an insane, you know, sea of news items. So I, I, again, there's a lot, impacting the cold open here and i don't think it's their fault i just i personally just uh i just want something a, a little more inspired i just didn't need the the run of the mill run through cold open for the premiere that's all that's not too much to ask for the premiere i don't really think it is i think no. you can be a little bit more critical of the show because you know that they're trying to bring their best they're really trying to capture people and show them hey we've got a a strong show that's firing as well as season 42 welcome back um, the cold open is supposed to say that. And, uh, I don't know if this really said it as much as it could have. I, I think it was their, their old playbook from season 42 and not much else. Can't help but agree with you. Yeah. But that doesn't make it a loss either. It was perfectly serviceable. And I think back to some seasons where politically there's nothing going on. So they have a political cold open and it's just so like tepid and quiet. And there's just, there's crickets in the studio because there's just, <laughs> there's nothing for them comedically to latch onto. So this is still head and shoulders above that. It's not bad. It's just, it wasn't fantastic. And that's what I wanted to see when it faded in and I didn't quite get it, but we still got a lot of show to get through. So let's talk monologue. Ryan Gosling has saved jazz. You know what? This was a really clever, creative take on a monologue. Really enjoyed it. Okay. I was really into the whole the whole misdirection of this you know it felt like it was just a, a side joke at the beginning sure. <laughs> when he brings up the save jazz like it got a laugh right. oh that's you know that's funny so ostensibly he would change topics but then it would end up <laughs> circling back to a being about save jazz <laughs> I, I enjoyed that mm-hmm. it was just a simple hook that seemed to work so well for me mm-hmm. and you know aside from the idea ryan gosling just sold it so well yeah, he really did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. It, it's kind of kind of funny because when I was watching it live, um, he comes out, you know, he throws away the joke and you think he's moving on to plugging his movie. And then, yeah, you see he's going to revert back to it. And it gets to that point where he really wants to just explain what jazz is to the audience. And the piano comes out and he goes and he sits down at the piano and he does that whole shtick of sort of like stream of consciousness of his passion for jazz. When that was happening, I was like totally enraptured with that. Like I was on board with it and I wanted to hear more of that. Like I wasn't cringing at it the way that they were expecting you to at this point. He was just so engaging with how he was talking about jazz that I could have done with another couple minutes of that. And uh, I was actually a little like miffed at Keenan for coming out and derailing it. Cause I was just, I don't know. I was just all in on Gosling. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. See, this is what Debbie Winner was talking about. You're giving a beautiful person a pass. 
And that might be what it is. I mean, he has dreamy eyes when he sits at a piano. (laughs) (laughs) She's not wrong. He's a, he's a beautiful man. And, and I was, I was completely won over. I was enraptured. So I don't know. Uh, there, there was something funny about how I took that monologue that I think wasn't really what they were going for, but I, I enjoyed it nonetheless. Yeah. On the other hand, I was there kind of hoping someone would intervene. Yeah. And that's what they were trying to lay out. That was what they were building towards. So you were, you were following where they were going with it. I just, I was off in my own little world there with just staring into Gosling's dreamy eyes. (laughs) All right, moving on. Colleen Rafferty is back after having yet another close encounter. It was interesting that they decided to just rehash that original setup, take the exact same characters and put them through a second alien abduction. (laughs) Sure. I mean, there's only so many ideas you can come up with. They came up with more ideas than I could think of, you know, with the uh, out-of-body experience and the the Santa. Kringle Mouse. The Kringle Mouse <laughs> uh, debacle. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, props to them for pulling that much out of a, a dry well. Mm-hmm. For what they did with this, it was pretty good. Uh, they added a few more elements. Now, that, that whole thing with bending over Ryan Gosling <laughs> and... <laughs> putting Kate's face in his butt. <laughs> you know that that was all tailored towards getting Ryan Gosling to lose it. Sure. And I suspect that they had a, um, a John Mulaney set up here where that was like a last minute rewrite. You don't think he knew Kate was going to go in for the, the butt plant. If we can find someone who was at dress that night and find out how that version of the sketch went. Sure. I would bet money that, that whole bend over demonstration was not included. Sure. My hunch is that that was probably part of it. And I think Kate maybe just mixed it up because she's really good in the moment at, you know, improvising a little bit and figuring out a way to take things a little bit further. So I don't know if the actual like face in butt moment was on the page. So I think you're probably onto something where, you know, Kate was probably intentionally pushing that a bit further for the live show. Mark my words. Uh, Kate's going to be calling in sick on Monday with double barreled <laughs> pink eye. Uh, that was hands down my best like line of the night. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Moving on after Colleen Rafferty, we get a pre-tape Levi's wokes jeans that are as woke as you are. What's, what's your take on this? What were they trying to say? What were they trying to say? Yeah. Ooh, that's a tough question to answer. I want to dance around that. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe a better place to start is like, how did this hit you? Because everyone's going to take this a little different. You know, some people are going to see these kids as heroes and other people are going to loathe them. So where did you land on it? Like, what did you take away from it? It's kind of, uh, you know, poking a bit of fun at the socially conscious type of liberals that I guess they feel like everybody has to kind of adjust for the alternative lifestyles that are becoming uh, more accepted. Sure. Which, uh, you know, it's a great gesture. I'm not going to be anybody who says that trans people, gender fluid, you know, like these people all should be accepted. Sure. <laughs> then we'll just, we'll get that statement out of the way. First and foremost, we're not, we're not drawing a hard line on <laughs> whether uh, any kind of alternative identity should be ostracized in our society. Yeah. We certainly are not saying that in any respect. It's very important that people understand <laughs> that I accept all walks sure. of life. Gotcha. 
What what I take issue with is the people who think that we should just abandon the whole notion of gender identity completely as if it doesn't have a place in the world at all because there's less than 1% of people who don't fit in one or the other. Sure. I think if we all just work towards the same cause of acceptance, we don't have to abolish, you know, gender roles and all this <laughs> stuff because you know what they're showing in this sketch is what will happen. We'll all look ridiculous. We'll all look like we're in parachute pants. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I always get worked up when this social justice stuff pops up on SNL, but uh, yeah. Okay. See, I don't know when to stop because I feel like I'm being offensive whenever I talk about this stuff. Uh, well, I'll, you know, I'll whittle that down to something a little more palatable. <laughs> um, okay. I, I think you're kind of poking at, somewhere around what they were were getting at there um obviously this is going to be a super awkward kind of topic to talk about without potentially offending someone so we just hope our audience is going to give us the benefit of the doubt and understand that we certainly aren't harboring any you know hate or resentment for any particular lifestyle my take on it what what i was pulling away from what i thought snl was trying to say was just basically like there are people that are so obsessed with this particular cause that it is possible to be ridiculous. Even if you've got a good cause and even if the underlying message is fine, you can still be an idiot for how you parse that and then push it back on the world. And I think the people in this video are idiots. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my offensive take on it for what it's worth. <laughs> They're idiots. <laughs> yeah. Mikey day, especially I got to say like when I was watching Mikey day, I honestly kind of wanted to punch him a little bit. You know, he's like just aggressively in your face telling you that you are just not human if you're not like <laughs> down with these clothes. And uh, I think the sketch was really effective in in saying that and painting that picture. And and if I was loathing Mikey Day as passionately as I was, then I, I think they were onto something. I I think there's some brilliance here. And, and I, I think that they really kind of just painted a, a really nice picture of the absurdity that these things can be brought to. It's brilliant actually. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was really, really great. Really great. Um, editing wise too. Like it moved quick. They, they had a lot of fun with it and the zipper. I mean that it was oh over at the zipper God. when they got to the zipper. I just, is there a more perfect gag to sell the idea of woke jeans than the zipper? Um, yeah, really good. Absolutely. Moving on, we get another live sketch. We get HGTV's Fliplets, a reality show where three brothers show how you can flip real estate and suppress childhood trauma. <laughs> it established that whole reality show energy, that feel-good HGTV vibe, mm -hmm. and it takes it in that dark place, that, that dark <laughs> comedy that even Ryan Gosling especially is good at doing on this show. Sure. I really thought the concept was cool. I really liked the idea of two brothers that are totally simpatico. And then the third one that uh, they just have to try and manage and kind of keep at bay because he's going to open up some old family wounds. I really liked where they started with the sketch. What I was a little puzzled by was it seemed like they took a big left turn there at one point and it stopped being about the brother trying to get some sort of like closure or catharsis on the the family history and it turned to him being a little disturbed and going to like this this dark almost like mental break it it, it seemed like there were kind of two different sketch ideas sort of just 
mashed together there. And I wonder if that's editing. I wonder if that was them just trying to bring it to a head a little too quickly. And, uh, so I, I really liked, I guess just like the first two thirds and then it just kind of lost me. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you jump in a hole when you get an idea. Yeah. And, and this was a really great concept. Yeah. And this happens sometimes where, you know, the deadline is pressing Sure, and you can get two thirds of the sketch where you want it to be. Yep. And then you just don't quite know how to wrap it up. So sounds like that's what happened with this one. Yep. Yeah. So that's Fliplets. Um, let's talk a little bit about Jay-Z. He performed Bam with Damian Marley. And then his second song was 444. Which is also the name of the album. Okay. <laughs> what's your What's your hot take on Jay-Z? You know, I was entertained. I had a good time with it. But I'll be honest with you. I'm not the guy to ask about Jay-Z. I'm just not his demographic. This is not the music I seek out. Okay. But yeah, I mean, if you want me to talk about what I liked about the performances, Damian Marley was definitely uh, a highlight. You know, his dreads went down to his ankles. Even that in itself was impressive. <laughs> okay. Had nothing to do with the music, but I really enjoyed that. Sure. <laughs> I can't really speak to the music in any meaningful way. I really have very little to say about it too. It didn't really pull me in. There wasn't really anything for me to latch onto that I, I felt was particularly engaging, but this really is just the fact that we are not the audience for this. It, it's not, it, it's just not our scene. I wouldn't know how to begin to really say anything meaningful about this. So rather than do that, let's just uh, jump into weekend update. what do you think of the opening salvo? This is Jost and Che fresh off of their summer stint. Do you feel like they're keeping the bar high from some of the stuff that we saw over the summer? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Something I noticed is that they're lengthening the leash that they got Che on. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That was pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just straight up calling the president of the United States a bitch right. on live television. Yeah. Like how exciting is that? <laughs> you know, that is so sharp toothed. Yep. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. My, here's the thing. I'm kind of feeling like. Trump bashing is just getting too easy. Like it's a very low stakes game to bash Trump right now. So I don't know if it felt brave to me or like a big important thing because it's what everyone wants to hear. It's not breaking the mold when you're just leaning into something that, you know, is kind of pandering to your audience. It's kind of weird. I just, I don't really know how to feel about that. It just didn't feel special. Didn't feel special or as important as it should have been. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the world takes it. All right. So let's uh, look at our first feature. We get Kate McKinnon as Angela Merkel, and she is talking about her reelection. I think this is one of my favorite Angela Merkel visits to the desk. Okay. Something about this one I just really enjoyed. Uh, Kate, her magic is in between the lines. <laughs> it's true. She's like jazz. <laughs> and she has a way of just crawling around the desk and and placing her hands in ways and and it's masterful in the way that you know it's it's between her lines but it doesn't distract from the line of of Colin Jost whenever he's talking. Mm -hmm. This is one of the characters that she plays that really showcases the actual genius of what she does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I don't have a whole lot to add. She does have a very animated presence, and she does infuse just a whole lot into the performance. That's just really amusing. And you can't always put your finger on exactly what she's doing. There's no like repeatable 
<laughs> method or process. It's just part of the genius of Kate McKinnon. No doubt. I did pick up on the little thing she was doing where there was a couple times during the performance where she just kind of like dropped the German altogether and kind of became like a bit of a Valley girl yeah. or just got very like youthful and excited. And then as soon as she did it, she pulled back in before Joseph could even kind of like pounce on it. I, I just, I think that there's, there is definitely some genius on display with just those little moments that she finds. It can't all be on the page. There's no way to just write the magic that she's able to bring to some of these characters. So always high praise for Kate. Always high praise. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Alex Moffat as a guy who just bought a boat offering dating advice with a little bit of help from Ryan Gosling's guy who just joined Soho house. I found it interesting that on the second run when they officially made him a recurring character, Mm -hmm. they bring in a counterpart. Now, actually, let me just uh, stop you just for a second here because Lila 2398 also wanted us to weigh in on whether we thought that Ryan Gosling's character was a valid sidekick. Like if this was something that the sketch should have incorporated, did we want uh, Alex Moffat to gain a sidekick for his second outing? Like, was that an improvement? I don't know. It was certainly an element that made it fresh. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, it's a welcome element. I think he didn't need to be there. I think it would have been equally as good if it had been just Alex, but I don't think he heard it at all. I think it was perfectly serviceable either way. So to answer Lila's question, I think he was a valid sidekick, but I don't think it really elevated things. And I don't think it was necessary. It was just something that Ryan Gosling was obviously comfortable with and thought would be fun. And so, you know, obviously they, they just indulged him. Maybe it was at the request of Ryan to do this. Oh, could be, could be. Yeah. He has a history of showing up as a established weekend update characters counterpart. If you remember when he joined Anthony Crispino, that's true. And he did really good on that too. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah. So it may just be him coming to play. Like he just wants to, to take the show for all it's worth. So if he can figure out how to get on update as well, why not? Yeah, I I thought this was a win. I actually enjoyed it more than the first time through. The first time through, I was just having trouble keeping up with how he was speaking. Like, it's a little hard to parse and understand what he's saying. So the first ride was a little more challenging, whereas this time I knew exactly what I was getting into. I knew which words were going to have the jokes. So you can just focus in on the, the fun parts and just take the whole performance without having to really like pay too close of attention. And because of that, I I really thought it was a lot more enjoyable than the first outing. So I, I thought this was a win. I liked it. My dong sucks. <laughs> sure. And on that note, back half of the show, Henrietta and the fugitive, a chicken gets caught up in her bank robbing lovers attempts to evade the police. Um, I saw what they were going for and it gave me a couple of chuckles, but this was pretty uninspired. I found. Okay. It relied too much on its form <laughs> and kind of delivered short on content. All right. Well, I could not disagree with you more. I loved every second of this. <laughs> and it's it's tricky because I, I don't really know exactly what I loved about it. They just went all in on it. They weren't just looking for just a steady drumbeat of quick one-off jokes to sell it. They just really invested in this kind of being like its own little, like just like a little, little play. Like we had that, um, the who's afraid of Virginia Wolf thing not too long ago. We've had some outings where Vanessa was like a turkey 
and a fish out of water situation with like her boyfriend. <laughs> We've explored this territory before, but I don't know if they've ever just like gone all in, in just making a like beautiful little self-contained piece that has its own little denouement at the end. And just for whatever reason, I just, I was just really charmed by it. And I, I just, I, I can't, can't quite put my finger on it, but I loved it. I really loved it. <laughs> it felt a little bit like some of the stuff we used to get back in the late eighties with Lovitz and Hartman where they would want to do these old timey plays or old timey movie parodies where it was light on jokes, but it was really just heavy on style and performance and just capturing a tone or a feeling uh, of something. I kind of feel like this, this is kind of a, uh, a, a spiritual child of maybe that kind of SNL sketch. And so maybe it was more that, as I'm watching this, it felt like something that has existed in an SNL of, of an earlier era that, that kind of resonated with me. There was just, there was something about it that I just really enjoyed. And I, I wish I could find a better way of saying it. It just, it was fun for me. I really liked it. Well, you never know with all these new writers and how old SNL is getting, like it's getting to the point where people would be of the age where that would be their golden era of SNL watching Phil Hartman and, and these guys. Yep. Could be, could be. Um, let's take a look at our next sketch. An overly dramatic couple reacts very poorly to learning that they've been duped into eating pizza hut pasta. <sighs> I remember these commercials and they're, they're not new. Like we're, t- we're going back like five years or so to get to when these commercials were actually being aired by pizza hut. It's just weird that they are referencing a commercial. That's so old at this point. Sure. The, the actual character that Ryan Gosling was playing was close to what he did in the Santa baby sketch. I was thinking the same thing. Yes. Uh, so maybe it was just something that was in his wheelhouse and they were trying to create a, a vehicle to get that character out of him. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? Um, I gotta say, I really liked Cecily in this. I know that girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, born and bred drama llama, just someone who. There is nothing too trivial that they can't make about them. I loved it. And she plays the part so well. She's, she's really, really good at figuring out horrible women to play. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this was, this was really, really well realized. I, I thought it was good. So maybe this was just a vehicle because they had those characters or, you know, they had those personas and they just wanted to figure out a way to get them out. And if so, I think it really worked for that. Oh yeah. Yeah, it absolutely did. And I've also met this type of person <laughs> sure, on both sides mm-hmm. for men and women, Yep, especially being in the service industry. I've worked in many restaurants and bars and when it comes to dealing with customers who, you know, are looking for the meaning of this or whatever, and it gets well to the point where they're not making sense anymore. Yes. Like just that blind commitment. Yeah. To saving face, like they will, they will hold on to that point for dear life. Yep. This is sketch comedy at its best. Look at the human condition, pick it apart, show the ridiculousness of it and just put it up there and, and explore it and have fun with it. And I enjoyed it. Thought it was good. Thought it was really good. Yes. So you should. Yes. Pre-tape nine years later, a man still can't get past the use of papyrus font in avatars logo, man. This is a sketch you never expect to see in a million years, but when you see it, you love it. Okay. Uh, wh- where's the brilliance? What'd you love about it? The brilliance is, is that you agree with him. 
it's something you've never thought of, mm-hmm. but when it's laid out in front of you, you're like, yeah, that is a good point. That's kind of a lazy logo for a movie. <laughs> now, to obsess over it to the point that Ryan Gosling's character does, that's, you know, taking it to a comedic level. And it's absolutely brilliant. Sure. The way that they use that whole psychological thriller uh, <laughs> style of cinematography and direction to deliver this joke. It's just so good. Mm-hmm. It was definitely well-realized. No doubt. No doubt at all. Now I'm going to give you one guess at who the brainchild of this is. Is it Julio? It is Julio. Feels like a Julio. It is a Julio. (laughs) Back last May, he tweeted about the ridiculousness of Papyrus being the avatar font. So this is something that he's been mulling over and just trying to attach to something that will work in the show apparently for a few months. And, uh, yeah, he, he got it together and, and turned it into something that I think is pretty brilliant, actually. Kyle Mooney was great as the <laughs> yes. uh, as the silent villain. Yes. Giving those knowing looks and, and mouthing papyrus. Yes. Yeah, just <laughs> provoking him from afar. Yeah, no, it was really good. It was very, very well realized. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And that brings us to our 10 to 1 sketch. A bar band can't keep their dramatic personal lives out of their show. There was a few relatable moments to this. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a, a funny premise that there's uh, something going on with one of the band members that's more interesting than sure. anything else that's going on. Yep. And just Keenan, Ian Keenan. Yeah. I'm just so glad after all these years, they're still letting Keenan just <laughs> chew the scenery. He sold the hell out of this one. He, he took something that could have been really flimsy and, and weak and found some solid funny in it. And uh, that's, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Kyle didn't have much to do throughout this episode, but I really enjoyed his role in this to like (laughs) try and pull the other guys back into focusing on the song. (laughs) Yep. And he, and he had that cool cat kind of groove to his voice while I said it. Yep. Yep. Uh, He definitely did the best he could with what he had had to work with in that sketch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So overall, uh, perfectly fitting 10 to one. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's our show. Let's talk moment of the night. Well, there were many moments of the night that could have been the moment of the night, but I'm settling on, on this one. It's when Michael Che decided to call the leader of the free world, a bitch. <laughs> sure. Directly to him. Mm-hmm. And, I just love the balls of it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It was a bit of a thud for me because I don't think that maybe it required as much cojones as uh, maybe we'd assume Uh, there's a lot of anti-Trump sentiment. And I think it's, it feels a little bit of like just piling on the bandwagon at this point. So it was the one thing in weekend update that kind of just left me scratching my head thinking, was that brave? Was that groundbreaking? Or was that just more of the same? And uh, I feel like maybe it was just a little cheap. You're kind of right there. I mean, if there's any president of all 45 yes. presidents that you can get away with calling a bitch on live television, <laughs> it's going to be the one we have right now. Yeah, this didn't happen to FDR. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not him, no. No. Uh, okay, so for my moment of the night, I'm giving it to Double Barrel Pink Eye in the another alien abduction sketch because that just caught me off guard and, and I just thought that was <laughs> so... Oh, just such a, such a gross, gross, disturbing little thought that, uh, I ate it up. Loved it. Loved it a lot. Best sketch. What took it for you? I got to say as a industry worker and, and the PTSD that comes with that. (laughs) Sure. 
the uh, Pizza Hut pasta sketch really does a number on me okay. psychologically. So that's the one that uh, stands out to me as sketch of the night. Okay. You felt Mikey's pain. I felt Mikey's pain. I've been Mikey. <laughs> okay. I'm going with Levi's Wokes. There was a lot of good stuff tonight, but the one that I think was just the absolute sharpest and best realized and just a win end to end. Like I couldn't think of any way to improve upon it was Levi's Wokes. I think that was a, a great bit of satire. And, uh, I thought it worked. I thought the message was pretty clear. I thought the production of it was very strong and uh, yeah, just really, really engaging stuff. I thought that was really good. Yeah. It was our first glimpse at uh, two of the new cast members. Also true. Yeah. All right. MVP. Kate McKinnon tonight. Okay. You sure you don't want to give it to Luke Knoll? I was very tempted. Okay. He was your runner up. I mean, he did not screw up a single line. That's true. Everything he did tonight was flawless. You can uh, scan every frame of that episode. Yep. You will not find a mistake from Luke Knoll. Yep. He was absolutely flawless tonight. I'm giving it to Cecily. Okay. I felt like she was a really strong presence in the sketches that she was in. Uh, Alien abduction. She obviously wasn't there to steal the scene. That was Kate's job, but she was the only one holding it together. And I think, I think that says something. Um, She was a stabilizing force. I respect that. I thought that her characterization in the Italian food pizza hut sketch. I I thought that that was an amazingly well-realized character that I think requires a a certain amount of genius to be able to dial in on. And I I think she handled that really well. So there was a lot of little moments tonight where I feel like she was just a very competent, stable and focused player. And uh, I think that's good enough for my MVP. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. Giving it to her. Yeah. I mean, You've got Kate covered, so I don't have to feel like, you know, we're giving her a short shrift or anything. So I'm going to, I'm going to point at Cecily and say, yeah, she's there. She's doing the job. And even if she's not getting Emmy nods, she's, she's still a a really valuable player in the mix at SNL. And I respect that. Look how woke we are. Yeah, it's totally woke. Taylor would be so proud of us right now. (laughs) Yep. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? I don't think I can give this one a classic. Okay. I feel like there was too many callbacks and too many rehashes to make this a a fresh enough episode to merit a classic, but it was still great. Okay. I thought it was a good episode. I thought that it is squarely in the decent range. I felt that there were moments that felt a little easy, like bringing back the alien abduction. Right. Uh, I can't, I can't give high marks to that kind of stuff. Cold open didn't wow me. So I can't give high marks to that, but for everything that was kind of middling, there was, there was also some really good moments. There was uh Levi's woke. There was uh papyrus font, you know, <laughs> and some quizzical stuff, Henrietta and the fugitive that just left me going, why did I like that so much? So this was a ride. There was a lot of fun stuff and Gosling himself is fun to watch because of all the reasons that we've already beat into the ground. So there was a, a lot to enjoy with this show, but as a premiere, I'm not going to say it was super strong and I'm not going to say that it really even kind of ascended beyond what we would get from a typical sort of mid season SNL. But again, not a, not a bad thing that makes for a decent outing. And uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Cool. All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. 
Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Gal Gadot and musical guest Sam Smith. This has been episode number 29 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. what I think was happening. You might help me out, Ted. Stand up. Yeah, yeah, turn around. Thanks. So these guys don't have butts, regular butts. Um, I don't think they've ever seen a crack before. So my theory is, right, they thought I had, like, broken into two pieces and they were trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Gosh, they were trying everything. I mean, they were pushing, they were slamming. They'd take one cheek, kind of jiggle it, prime it, and then... And they were making a sound the whole time, like... One guy was trying to, like, punch it back together like he was breaking in a catcher's mitt. Another one of these idiots was just, like, jamming his face in there, looking for the source of the tear. And I was like, hey, last guy who did that got double-barrel pink eye. Thanks, Todd, you can sit down.